What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Taylor Dimling here with y'all, as always. This is the first podcast we've done since May. Uh, I believe I was looking back, it was like May 15th, 16th, sometime around there was the last podcast that we did on here. Um, you know, took the summer off, enjoyed um, the pro season that we had. Um, very, very thankful for the MLL and the PLL um, for both the bubbles that they were able to uh, provide us, the fun lacrosse that they were able to provide us um, in this uncertain time, uh, certainly not only here in the United States and in Canada, but across the globe. Um, obviously, it was a very um, rough end to the spring season, also a rough end to the NLL season as well. Um, by the looks of it, it I don't think they're going to get started back up until uh, March of 2021. So that's what I have on that for y'all. Um, but certainly back here on the podcast, happy to be talking about lacrosse again. And uh, we're going to change the dynamic, I guess I should say dynamic, of this show a bit. So um, the show is going to uh, be, so certainly what we're going to do here now is, you know, if you have listened in the past, you know um, the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast, obviously, uh, is the podcast of lacrossebucket.com, which I run. um, And, you know, right on there, uh, about five, six days a week, uh, we have articles coming out on there. Uh, Right now, we are doing a 2021 college lacrosse preview series. Uh, We are in, let's check. We are in the P's, about to get out of the P's. Uh, We're going alphabetically. Uh, Just put up Princeton on Friday. Uh, Go Monday through Friday with these. Uh, Providence, Quinnipiac, Richmond, Robert Morris, and Rutgers will be this week. Um, So check for those on lacrossebucket.com. I have a full list there. I got a featured post on the site. Uh, with a full list of all the previews, uh, all the teams on here, and uh, they're highlighted in uh, that orangish-red color, uh, and that means we have done a preview of them. You can click on there, check out uh, previews of all the uh, 74 RIP Furman um, Division One college lacrosse teams. That series will be running through... About, I think, I believe, uh, I have to pull up the calendar here, but I do believe it's going to run through the week of or the week prior to uh, American Thanksgiving. Yeah, it will end on November 20th. Uh, started it on, I believe, August 11th is when uh, I started that series. It will run through November 20th. So about one, two, counting this week, one, two, three, four, about five weeks left of the series. And then after that, we will get into some conference by conference stuff, um, some positional breakdowns and things of that nature. But as far as here on the podcast, um, we're going to change the format a bit. Um, it's going to be more heavily, heavily geared towards college lacrosse, 
um, and the site is going to be gearing more towards the college game as well. Uh, we'll still certainly talk about the NLL, the PLL, and the MLL, uh, but will not be as much as it was in the past. Uh, still really enjoy those leagues. Still really enjoy um, those uh, th- that lacrosse. Certainly uh, love any kind of lacrosse, but um, you know, based on I've been looking at some things over the summer, been trying to figure out you know what to do, where, where we're going to take this next, and uh, do you know kind of making that uh, I don't want to say transition, but taking that tone towards being um, geared towards college lacrosse um, over any other form of the game. Uh, certainly do enjoy those forms of the game as well, but we'll be gearing more towards the college game. So that is what the future of this podcast will look like. And uh, still don't have a set schedule of when these podcasts will be coming out, but uh, I'm going to try to do a uh, a year-round um, podcast on here about college lacrosse. <clears throat> Certainly not as easy um, as you know to do as you know, per se a college football podcast um, with not as much news coming out in the off season in terms of lacrosse, especially this time right now uh, with no fall ball going on. Uh, or me, no fall ball scrimmages, I should say. There is fall ball going on at many schools. I believe most are on campus doing fall ball, but a couple are not. Um, and a couple only have, you know, half of their team on campus um, and things of that nature due to the coronavirus, uh, which canceled the 2020 season. Speaking of the college lacrosse season, want to get this out of the way first. And I've had a lot of people ask me this um, since March. Tanner, you know, I, I get these messages in on, on, on Twitter. People text me, Tanner, will we have a college lacrosse season? And I told them, <clears throat> and I, I said back in March, um, you know, people ask me about college football. They asked me about college lacrosse. Because obviously, having a college football season, what you were doing, very fine. Um, not many bumps at all. Seems to be going perfectly fine. I'm a big college football fan. Um, I, I love college football. I'm, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. But outside of that, I don't really care much for the NFL. Uh, being here, living and growing up here in Louisville, Kentucky, you kind of you know we're in uh, college football country here when. Technically, we're an ACC, we're an SEC and ACC country um, here uh, in the Upper South, and you know, college football is, is king here as well. Being here in Kentucky, college basketball. Um, so, you know, I'm a big college football fan, and I, you know, I, I always said to people back in March, uh, we're gonna have college football. It's gonna be fine. Um, I didn't think there'd be as many schedule changes as there were at the beginning, but. As we got into August, I think a lot of people kind of assumed, okay, there's going to be some scheduling changes, going to be some differences. Um, and then once that started to happen, I got the question of, okay, um, you said that college football is going to go fine. It appears to be going fine right now in the schedules that we have. What is college lacrosse going to look like? 
And I'm going to tell you right now. I I believe, so that's in February. Is February 1 is usually the start of college class. I am recording this on October 25th on a Sunday. I don't know. I do know that college lacrosse will happen. It will go through, and it will go through fine. But I will tell you, I do not know what the season will will look like, what the scheduling will look like. I know the CAA back in, I think it was May or June, announced that they weren't going to make teams do conference schedules in 2021, which doesn't seem um, – it's like the opposite of what we've seen, right, in college football. So I don't know if that's changed or not, but they said 2021 would not – for spring sports would not include a conference schedule or they didn't have to play the full conference schedule. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know about that. Um do I expect there to be scheduling changes in college lacrosse in terms of a, a conference-only schedule like we see in football? Right now, I think it's too early to make that call, so I'm going to have to say no. I think it goes perfectly as planned, to be honest with you. Um, that may be a little wishful thinking, um, I could see the Ivy League or the Patriot League uh, making some uh, fallout, irrational, um, idiotic move. And obviously, personal opinion there. Um, you know, everyone's entitled to their own beliefs. But I do believe those would be the two conferences. If they were to make some move, I think that would probably be coming soon. Uh, we already had Swarthmore, I believe is how you pronounce it, uh, cancel spring sports, spring athletics, through Division Three. Uh, Swarthmore has a men's and women's lacrosse team, a pretty decent one, a pretty historical one. They've been playing lacrosse for a long time um, there. Um, they canceled their spring seasons in, like, I think it was either last week or two weeks ago. That's what I'm talking about as an irrational, illogical, idiotic move because it's October. You cannot know what's going to happen in January and February. Things could be fine. Things could be worse. We're not going to know. We're not going to know. So you know, that that's kind of – that is my two cents um, at the moment of what a college across season is going to look like. I did write an article back in August on <clears throat> kind of talking about, you know, college across survived uh, the 1918, I, I guess, what was it, 1918 and 1919 Spanish flu pandemic, uh, which also paired with World War One. Um, college across survived that. Uh, you did have some teams that didn't play because of those. Uh, either of those issues, the pandemic um, or the uh, war, um, 
So the, you you had two things pulling at the at the strings there at that period in time. Um, so you did have some teams not play then, uh, but since then, um, it hasn't been. Um, college across has never seen a cancellation or or a conference cancel or anything like that until this year. Um, and I, I don't think we're going to see that again, hopefully um, not in uh, my lifetime or in y'all's lifetimes. Uh, we will have to see that again. But from where we stand right now in October, I think it's way, way, way too early to tell what's going to happen in February. So I would have to say that I do believe we're going to have a college across season starting on February 1st. I believe we're going to have our regular non-conference season, not regular non-conference games, regular um, conference schedule, the NCAA tournament. I think it will go on all fine with fans in the stands. Um, you know, some places you might have to wear a mask, some you might not. But I do believe we will be having a normal uh, Memorial Day weekend in May to crown a college lacrosse champion, uh, which obviously would be happening on Memorial Day. Uh, so I do believe by then we will be back to normal. But again, you know, believe what you will. Um, again, it is October. It's hard to tell. It, it is hard to tell, um, plain and simple. Uh, so that's just my two cents on that. Wanted to get that out of the way first before we get into talking about some things that wanted to talk about here on uh, this first episode back in about, what, five, six months of the podcast. Speaking of the upcoming uh, college lacrosse season in 2021, um, you know, around this time is when we get kind of these things of okay, this is a con- this team's a contender, this team's a contender, and uh, start talking about that. Um, and I, I do want to talk about the, the the one team that I think um, obviously we don't have preseason rankings out yet; they won't be out for another few months. But um, a team that I think will be number one at the top of the list when these rankings do come out. And I do believe many others, uh, I know many others that believe that as well. Um, and that is the Duke Blue Devils. Um, and, you know, everyone knows since John Donowski's been there, um, they've been absolutely dominant. Um, 13 NCAA consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, uh, five semifinal appearances, and five championship appearances. Uh, they have three national titles. They could get a fourth title, I believe, here in 2021. Um, And that's because of not only do they return a ton of talent um, that's coming back from from this um, last season, um, and, and I'll read off guys that they've returned here. Um, they're all coming back for an extra year. You have attackman Joey Manown. You have uh, Riley Walsh, also an attackman. Attackman and midfielder Sean Lowry. 
Uh, midfielders Trey Lindsey and Kevin Quigley and Brian Smith all back for an extra year. Um, and then also on the defensive end, you will have uh, JT Giles Harris, who I believe is the best defenseman in the country, will be back for a fifth season as well. Uh, if you remember, the NCAA granted an extra year of eligibility to 2021 spring sport athletes. In addition to those coming back, they also get a couple um, grad transfers whom couldn't return at their, pro- at their uh, previous school or chose to uh, go elsewhere for that extra year of eligibility. And the biggest name out there is Michael Sowers. Um, Michael Sowers coming from Princeton to Duke. Um, Sowers is, I believe he's third. Oh, he's first all-time, I believe, um, at Princeton in points in a career. Um, He's easily a top three player in Princeton across history, Um, and and that's not easy to do uh, when you look at the number of players, especially at his position and on the offensive end of the field that they've had play for the Tigers, even going back um, to uh, the Bill Tierney days, obviously. Um, You know, Michael Sowers was the uh, likely Toroton Award winner last season, obviously with the award not being given out. He's the favorite coming into this season. Um, absolute game changer for this offense. Um, and, 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 and I really think with Duke was already a, a, a juggernaut to begin with, and they were already going to be a good, a good team, even if they didn't return some of those guys that I mentioned, especially when you consider who they have in terms of underclassmen returning on the offensive end. Their defense has been a bit skeptical, a bit sketchy over the past couple seasons, and I think that is still going to be something that uh, I'm going to look at a lot and I'm going to be pretty, not critical of, but I do want to see how that defense does in turn work out. Um, You know, JT Giles Harris is obviously a great player, and then they obviously have uh, in goal two of the best in the nation, uh, Tony Upgren returning for a fifth year. I forgot to actually a sixth year, um, as he was a, a grad student last year, and then Mike Adler out of St. Joseph's. Um, but back to this Duke offense, like Michael Sowers. So everyone talks about Duke needing a QB attackman, and they haven't had one really since Jordan Wolf. That was in 2013 and 2014 when Wolf led them to -to back-to-back national titles. Enter Michael Sowers. Michael Sowers can be that QB attackman that Duke has been looking for and has needed to have success for so long. And when you look at who's around him, I think not only is Sowers going to be better um, because he's going to be again uh, surrounded by better competition, better players than he was at Princeton. That's not to say he didn't have any good teammates or any good 
players around him at Princeton than he did, especially this last season. But at Duke, they have much more talented players, much better athletes just overall in the ACC uh, than up in the Ivy League. Um, and you look at who he has around him. I mean, you're talking about Dyson Williams, who was one of the best freshmen in the country last year at attack, an absolute goal scorer, um, 28 points last season. Only four of those were assists. Um, so he had 24 goals, four assists last season for Dyson Williams. Um, and then you also have uh, Joe Robertson coming back off of that injury that he sustained last uh, that he sustained uh, was early last season. I don't think he played at all. Um, I think he sustained it in pre in the preseason. Um, if I remember correctly. Um, so you have those two guys around him, around this outstanding player in Michael Sowers. And then that's not to mention one of the deepest midfield units in the country. Like they ran three midfields consistently in the games that they got in last year. Um, and I really think they were just starting to figure out what the first, second, third midfielders were, who was going to work with whom last season when the season was canceled. Um, and you're talking about some studs at that midfield for this Duke team. Um, not only the guys that I mentioned that are returning, but then you also look at uh, a guy like Owen Caputo, a guy like Nakai Montgomery, who has been absolutely outstanding throughout his career. Um, Montgomery, you know, as we know, May is for Nakai Montgomery. He thrives in the month of May. He has since his freshman year. I'm excited to watch him specifically play with this uh, attack, which should include Sowers, Williams, and probably Robertson. And then not to mention they have the number one player in the country, number one recruit in the country, I should say, according to Inside Lacrosse coming in, in Brennan O'Neill. Um and so that attack unit, and then I'm, I'm being honest right here. You could redshirt O'Neal, like I, if I'm if I'm John Donowski, I'm not saying I would redshirt O'Neal, but I would be thinking of that option. Like, okay, we can redshirt Brennan O'Neal, have him learn behind a outstanding player like Michael Sowers, then he can step in and be the guy, potentially be the guy as a sophomore, as, as a, I should say, a redshirt freshman. Um, so there's a potential that they could do that. Like, I'm, I'm being serious right there. And I know if you're a recruiting junkie or whatever, and, and you're thinking, you know, redshirt red a guy that's been compared to John Grant Jr., Gary Gate. No, well, you don't do that. That's 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 insane. But when you look at this Duke offense, they have so much. And back to this midfield here, you know, I'm I'm interested to see them step up a bit more. I think as a unit, um, you know, Cameron Bedore, Owen Caputo had solid seasons. Nikai Montgomery, and again, they only got what five six games in, so it was a, a small sample size. Uh, Montgomery had 12 points last year. Uh, Caputo was the best shooter at the midfield spot. 
Montgomery, I love, and I talk about him a lot because I love his passing ability, and I I want to see. Okay, you have a you have a passer, a passer, and really a, 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 he, he can pass, he can beat you with speed, he can uh, catch and shoot guy easily, and Michael Sowers, um, you're kind of this triple threat, whatever you want to call him, at QB at attack um, behind the cage. But then you also have a have an elite passer and uh, a goal scorer. And a, I, I think Montgomery, one thing that he's improved most in his career is, is his one-on-one dodging. I think has gotten a lot better as he's gotten older. Um, and so you look at, at a guy like him up top and you have a guy like Michael Sowers behind the cage working – that's gonna be pretty dangerous. Um, that that is certainly going to be pretty dangerous. Um, and I I think, you know, when you look at Michael Sowers QBing QBing this offense from behind the cage, they've got some. I mean, yes, he can turn the Jets and take it to the rack and and, and all of that. Um, but you've guys like Montgomery, like uh, Caputo, like Bedore who can cut to the crease, can cut through the heart of a defense, um, you know, feed, 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 feed to a wide open, uh, no, Sowers can feed to a wide open midfielder cutting. Um, you can, you know, put Dyson Williams on the back pipe and have Sowers find him. Um, there's just so many things that you can do um, I mentioned the Kyle Montgomery again. He's really good at finding guys open on that back pipe. So you can lo- try to load one side with Sowers and have Montgomery cut and the defense slides and just have Williams sitting there on the back pipe ready to, to just tap it in. Um, they just have so many, so, so many weapons. I just honestly don't think any defense is suited is suited to guard this kind of offense. And then I mentioned their defense, and I, I really, you know, I I, I I like Kenny Brower, who's their sophomore at pole returning. I like Tyler Carpenter um, as, as well as a sophomore LSM. Walker Scaglione is a fifth is another fifth year guy coming back, and junior. Uh, Braden Burke is also coming back. Um, they had all of those guys, and I mentioned JT Giles Harris earlier, who I believe is the best defenseman in the country. Um, you know, you, all those guys I just mentioned, this entire defense had a solid season. Um, but when you look at this defense in total, you know they were the 29th best scoring defense in in, in last season allowing 11 goals per game, okay? They ranked 30th in penalty kill and hovered around the late 20s, early 30s um, in most defensive categories. I do think this defense is going to get better. I do think that. I do think JT Giles Harris can be the leader that uh, many want him to be for this defense. I think he, obviously, I believe he's the best defenseman in the country. but the one thing on this back end that I'm most in, intrigued by, beyond beyond if this defense as a whole 
can be a top 20 unit. Um, but the thing that I'm most intrigued by is this goalie situation. Look, you return a 60-year guy in Turner Upgren, who's been your starter, primary guy, for the past two seasons. And he's been pretty reliable. But then you also bring in this guy named Mike Adler. Top 10 goalie in the country last year at St. Joseph's. He's coming in as a grad transfer. And look, you don't go, you don't grad transfer somewhere. If you're a player like Mike Adler, you don't grad transfer somewhere to sit your butt down. You grad transfer somewhere to play, to help lead a team to a title, or to as best lead them as far as they can go. I don't know if Upgren or Adler is going to get the start. I don't know how long this uh, competition in cage is going to go. But I do know that even if they do a two-goal unit, and I am not a fan of two-goal units at all, this is a, a goalie boom that could be one of the best in the country. Um... I'm looking at another specialist position at the faceoff dot. Um, you know, they bring in Jake Nasso, who is a top 20 ranked player in the country, uh, top 20 recruit last year. They've returned Jordan Gender, and then also Hoy Cross transferred Dan O'Connell, is spending his final year of eligibility in Durham. Um, that's going to be an, an interesting unit as well. Similarly, um, Nasso obviously coming in uh, fresh. As a freshman, um, Jordan Gender returning after a pretty successful season last year at the dot. Um, you know, and then you have Dan O'Connell, who's been pretty well at the college level at Holy Cross. We'll see how he transfers to the ACC, and we'll see all of that. Um, I think many have also kind of uh, messaged me and you know, kind of told me, look, Mike Adler's got to make that transition too, and he does. He does. But when you look at these two specialist positions for Duke, um, it's it's going to be really interesting. And and you know, depending on who gets to start, um, you know, we could see some 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 rotational things going on throughout the season, um, and we'll see what goes on there. But those are two interesting, really interesting battles um, in Durham. No. After talking about Duke for a little bit longer than um, I, I originally planned to, <laughs> um, actually, or and maybe a bit longer than a lot of y'all uh, would have liked to listen about Duke. I know there are a lot of Duke haters out there um, in lacrosse, and uh, let me tell you, it's it's not just basketball that people do not like those guys. Um, moving on from that, though. Um, I want to talk about something that, and I had a discussion with someone about this the other day. Because of the rule where the NCAA is allowing guys to come back, this season is going to be the best year ever because you have a lot of talented players coming back. I agree with that. I understand that. But, and it's going to be like that across the board at all conferences. But I think two conferences that are, I don't want to say more interesting, 
but I think the the race per se for like top spot or like for who could be a contender is probably more interesting um, at these two mid majors. Obviously, the ACC and the Big Ten are always competitive. The Ivy, I think, at GL and Cornell, and I, I think Brown and Penn are a close second, uh, a close third, fourth, you know, potential, potential contender. When you look at the CAA, and you look at the NEC, and I'm going to look at the NEC here first, there's a lot of talented players coming back in these conferences. And, you know, when you look at this, the NEC, obviously they lose Robert Morris. And that's that's crucial here. That That is crucial in how competitive I think maybe the mid-tier, I would say, or the upper mid-middle could be in this conference. So they have the East and West divisions. Um, I don't know if they're going to still have that because RMU left and NJIT left. Um, so now you only have one, two, three... So you have St. Joe's in the East. If you would keep this in the West, you would have St. Joe's, Mount St. Mary's, and LIU. And then in the East, you would have Hobart, Bryant, Merrimack, Sacred Heart, Wagner. I don't know if they're going to keep that because that is what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's like what, eight, eight, nine, eight teams. Um, I don't know if you're going to keep that with that many teams. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Um, but I, I don't really believe they're going to keep that. Um, it it kind of stinks because they did that because LIU, Merrimack, and again, Merrimack cannot compete for, cannot go to the postseason. They're still on, I don't want to call it probation, but it's like um, they, they, they can't compete in the postseason for, I think it's, I think they have three years left because they moved to Division One. And when you move to Division One, there's a there's a there's a there's a I guess you call it a transitional period. Um, I think is what Coach Morgan called it last year when I talked to him about this. Is like it's a transitional period where you cannot compete in the postseason. Um, LIU, however, can because LIU Brooklyn was already D one. LIU Post was D two when they combined the athletic departments. So they're technically not really moving up. I mean, the lacrosse is, but like it's, they're combining with a Division One athletic department that was already in the conference. So keep that in mind. Secondly, keep in mind, obviously, RMU is out. NJIT is out, which NJIT, I, I you know, I really wanted to see them see what they could have done in this conference. Um, I think they could have been maybe mildly competitive. Um, but when you look at the NEC uh, in terms of last year, uh, St. Joseph's was pretty decent. Obviously, there was Adler, but they have Zach Colback, who one of the best face-off men in the country. <clears throat> RMU is out. Mount St. Mary's, they return a decent amount of players um, on their squad. LIU is pretty young, to be honest with you. Um... And I think, you know, when you're looking at this conference, when you're looking at the tiers of it, for me, it's Hobart, 
Mount St. Mary's, and then I, I really have no clue. Um, and again, I'm leaving Merrimack out of this just because they can't p- compete in the postseason. But I think Hobart is definitely that number one spot. They return a ton of guys. Um, you know, they they have been pretty successful. This is the best. This is this kind of time period here is the best at um, in, in, in Division One, and you know they do lose guys like Eric Holden, um, who are who are leaving, um, and he's going to Maryland for that fifth season. Uh, but you have uh, at attack, you have Jason Knox coming back as a sophomore, Ryan Archer. Um, and then you also have a ton of dudes at midfield, you know, Derek Madonna, uh, John Healy, um, you know, Troy uh, Bartomeo, Bo- 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 I believe is how you pronounce it. Kid's six foot seven. <laughs> um, that, 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 that's what I know. Um, and then obviously on, on the defensive side, you know, um, you do lose Sam Lucchese in goal, which, which does stink. Um, but, and I think that's going to be the one area where they have do struggle. Uh, but you return PJ Delpha and the entire starting close defense with him, uh, Michael Christensen, um, as well, um, and Kyle Nalen, who was a first year starter for the Statesman on defense. So I think Hobart is definitely the top tier, the cream of the crop in the NEC. No question about it. But that second spot is going to be interesting. Mount St. Mary's has a decent team. They were 3-5 and five last year. They gave it to, to John Hopkins, who, as we know, has a new head coach now in Peter Milliman. LIU was very young, but... Uh, and I gotta say, like, I'm not. I'm. This is not a stock up, stock down podcast. Buying, selling stock yet? We'll do that in a couple of weeks. But I like what I've seen out of this LIU squad. I really, really do. Um, this is a decent team. I mean, so. They were obviously the first year's Division One program last year. They had some bumps. They had some hiccups, as you would expect. But I do believe with RMU gone and that threat out of the conference, LIU has a easier, I would say, easier step up. And I've also argued, hey, maybe Bryant can get back to the NEC tournament. They've had two down years. Obviously, Mount St. Mary's, I've mentioned multiple times, pretty strong squad. Pretty strong squad. Um, so the NEC is, is, is going to be competitive at least in the mid-tier, uh, upper mid-tier uh, with teams like Mount St. Mary's, LIU, um, and St. Joseph's. And I don't I, I haven't looked at St. Joseph's enough to know exactly what they have coming back everywhere. Um, like I have at Hobart and Mount St. Mary's and LIU. I uh, will be looking at St. Joseph's in a few weeks 
on the preview series on the website. Um, but I do know Zach Cole's coming back at, at the faceoff dot. He was one of the best in the country last year. Uh, we've been junior this year. Um, so, you know, watch out for him. Um, really, really good player. The heart and soul of that Hawks team. Um, and then LIU, as I mentioned, like, they had... And the thing about LIU is just they were so young last year. Like, they, they, they were so young. Um... I believe in goal, you know, so, so you look at guys that they have coming back. Um, Will Mark, that's the goalie's name, is, is escaping me. Um, one of the, like, statistically, was one of the best goalies in the country. He was a freshman. Like, he played really, really good. Uh, I should say in the conference, not the country. Um, so we'll see how he steps up, right? And then you have a ton of other guys on the offensive end that really stepped up as freshmen uh, and sophomores. Uh, Richie LaCandra was a sophomore, uh, led them in, in, in points. Um, and and while well, they do have some um, some veteran leadership, you know, Will Snelders um, is, is one of their best offensive threats as a senior. Uh, Jake Gillis is a junior. Uh, so you do have a good mix of this um, of this kind of young core with some veteran leadership. As far as the CAA is concerned, I am. This is probably more interesting than the NEC. So the CAA, you have obviously UMass. Is I believe the team could beat in that conference, but, but, not too far behind, not too far behind. Y'all know who we have. Uh, y'all should know who we have. Delaware, Hofstra, Drexel. Drexel, has, this could be their best season ever. Reed Bowering, Jemiah Kota back at the faceoff dot. I mean, this is going to be a stellar team. UMass, I mean, this is going to be a pretty solid squad. Again, like, again, again. When you look at kind of the overall statistic leaders here. No, you Fairfield, I don't I'm not a believer in Fairfield at at the moment. Um I I'm just not. Um I need to see more out of that defense because I've had some people message me about could Fairfield make a jump this year? It's possible. Obviously everything's possible. But I, I I'm not a big believer in them. I'm more of a believer in Drexel than I am Fairfield. Uh, but I do believe Fairfield could be, will be a better team than they were last year. Obviously, in the second year um, with the new head coach there, um, whose name is currently escaping me. Was that Yale defensive coordinator? Um, oh, my gosh. That name escapes me right now. That is going to irk me. Um, I will find that right now. But obviously, moving back to some other teams here, um, in the conference, um, Hofstra, 
you know, Seth Tierney, Ryan Tierney comes back. His son, um, I think, you know, and they're a team that outside of Ryan Tierney was pretty solid last year. Oh, excuse me. Outside of Ryan Tierney was pretty, um, I don't say young, but youngish. And they, they're a pretty solid team as well. Um, that's what I meant to say there. Um, they, they, they were a pretty solid team. Um, and Andrew Baxter, the head coach at Fairfield. I don't know why that escaped me. Um, but under Andrew Baxter, Fairfield could take an, uh, could take another step here in 2021. Um, but it, back to Hofstra. Hofstra, you know, obviously Ryan Tierney is coming back. And then and he's the guy. Like, he's the face of the franchise there. Um, you know, one of the best offensive threats in the conference. And, you know, the defense might be a little skeptical for me. Um, at least when I look at it on paper. Um, and I have went back and watched a couple games of theirs. Uh, we've watched that Michigan game as well. Uh, Michigan game against them um, as well as some others. Um, Stony Brook, I watched that game again. Uh, but Hofstra could, could be right there. Um, Delaware, I think, you know, here's the thing. Like, I think they are one of the surest things um, in the CAA in terms of, like, we know who they are. Um, but the big, big question mark there for me is in goal. I mean, you lose Matt DeLuca, that is huge. That is huge. Um, and they don't really have anybody else that has that much experience. Um, so, so we'll see what happens there. Um, they have some solid got some solid polls and Owen Grant and Tate Watson coming back. Um, you no know, on offense. You know, Kitchen is coming back. Charlie Kitchen. Uh, Ty Coates will be a junior. Mike Robinson will be a sophomore. Uh, we'll look for him and Clay Miller. Obviously, another attackman there to take another step. Um, and I think this this Delaware team, if they figure if they figure out their situation and goal quick enough, and it can be a consistent, uh, not not a consistent fix, a consistent fill, I should say, of that hole that DeLuca left, they've got a pretty good shot. But um, as, as I mentioned, um, UMass is the team that is, is, is the team to beat, I should say, in the CAA this year. They're the cream of the crop. That second tier, though, Delaware, Drexel, Hofstra, we'll see who takes, who uh, could 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 pull off an upset, um, but and, and one of the big reasons UMass is big reasons UMass is a contender again. Obviously, they have a lot of young talent coming back, but you look at the six seniors they've returned from last spring: Billy Philpot, uh, Phil Jeff Trainer, Charlie O'Brien, uh, midfielders. Attackman, Devin Spencer, defenseman, Jack uh, Subkoch, goalie, Cameron, Cameron Carpenter. Uh, and they also picked up a big, big, big grad transfer in LSM Hunter Newman out of Bucknell, who I think is going to be uh, like 
you know, you talk about um that having that motive that, that UMass always seems to have a guy that like has that motive. I think that could be him. Like, uh, and I, I'm not joking. Like, he could be that guy that has that motor, that gorilla mentality, that kind of Isaac Papalo role. I think Hunter Newman could fit perfectly right into there. And goal, Matt Note coming back uh, was a freshman last year, one of the best in the country. I was certainly impressed with him. Um, I think we know who UMass is. I think we know they are as close to a juggernaut as you're going to get uh, in, in, in that conference um, looking towards the 2021 season. Um, but certainly that second tier in the CAA is, is going to be interesting to see who pulls it out there. I like Drexel. I like Hofstra. Towson, we'll see. They were, what, 0-5, something like that? They were absolutely terrible. It was I watched a couple of the games last year, and I just remember coming away from that being like, man, this is pathetic. This is the most pathetic thing. The most pathetic Sean Adlin team I've ever seen in my life was last year. So we'll see if they jump back um, and can get back into that CAA uh, contender position. Um, that is all for the show today. Again, thank you all for listening in. Um, again, Back on the podcast. Glad to be back on the podcast, doing it again. Um, I don't know exactly the schedule for when we'll be releasing more, but as I mentioned, in a few weeks, we will start getting into some conference-by-conference previews. I just wanted on today's show to kind of address some uh, some questions, uh, talk a little bit about some things that I've talked to other people about um, in terms of college lacrosse. Certainly, uh, went a little bit longer on this episode than usually would, uh, but that is okay. Glad to be back on the podcast. Cannot wait for lacrosse season to come around. It's starting to get a bit colder outside, which I don't like it, but it means lacrosse is around the corner. That's always a great sign. As always, lacrossebucket.com. You can find us on social media at lacrossebucket. My personal at Tanner underscore Dimling. Again, thank you all for listening and have a great week.